0: I'm a little worried about this one. So I gave you a handout. We'll get to that in a minute or 20. <clears throat> but um, on Sunday, we've been going through different parts of the Christmas story. We called it Exploring the Advent, which is traditionally the four Sundays before Christmas. It just means the coming uh, in Latin. Um, so different stories we're talking about around the birth of Jesus in the first week. Um, first Sunday, we talked about how there was a Messiah coming, the seed of the woman, going to bruise the head of the serpent. Um, we talked about Zacharias, Elizabeth, and John, the prophecies around them and their story. And then we uh, went through a passage i never heard preached from, uh, the Magnificat, which is Mary's song of sorts uh, in Luke 1. And then last Sunday, well, Sunday that just passed. We went through the genealogy in Matthew one, which is riveting stuff, I know. Uh, And today we're gonna do another Christmas type um, thing. Uh, Because we can. And today I'm gonna just wreck everything you ever knew or thought you knew about the manger. So please forgive me in advance. Um, Not that I think I'm smarter than anyone or anything. Um, But anyway, we'll get to that. (laughs) So we'll be in Luke chapter 2. We all know this part of the story. We've read it hundreds of times. If you watch Charlie Brown Brown Christmas, Linus, uh, we'll quote all of this. when they ask the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, So we're going to start Luke 2 and 1. I'm a little worried that you guys are going to get upset with me. Please. I mean, you can if you want. It's fine. But just love me anyway. Luke 2 and 1, it says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Mm. and as, as you know there are words in English that have many different meanings and as you know the New Testament was originally written in Greek and Luke specifically wrote his gospel to the Greeks uh, and as you know words change their meaning over time the King James was first uh, published in the 1600s um, Words change their meaning over time, or a different spin is put on the meaning. And so in this verse, taxed is one of those words. Um, We hear taxed, and we go right to that bill that comes in the spring, that we need to take pledges for, because it's always ridiculous, or the insurance. We hear taxed, or we go to that extra fifteen percent that you give when you pay, when you buy something, or that money that's on your pay stub that somehow gets lost before it gets in your bank account. <laughs> and so, while taxed in taxes often refer to that, and sometimes it did, like when Peter told or Jesus told Peter to go catch a fish, and the money would be in the mouth to pay the taxes. That's the kind of thing he was talking about. Um, And you may hear people argue and say that there's no historical record of this massive taxing um, from Caesar Augustus that people had to travel and pay taxes. Uh, We know that the Roman government had tax collectors all over. Matthew was one. Zacchaeus was one. There were all kinds of them. They would come to your house and gather your taxes so it doesn't make sense that Caesar would say, everyone go to where you came from so you can pay your taxes when he's already got tax collectors everywhere. Gathering them up. <sighs> um, they had them all over so you know, they didn't have to do this. And the word taxed here um, is used to refer to the act of registration for a census. Um, in Old English, that's what they would say. You, you would be taxed, and then you would be on a list. Uh, you would be registered because you can't collect taxes from people that don't exist or people that are dead, and you can try. So they would do this. Um, you would register for taxes, and then Zacchaeus and Matthew and whoever would come and collect your taxes. Uh, When Augustus died, he had an incredible record of everything, about how large the empire was, how many people were in the empire due to him doing this type of thing regularly, having these censuses. He would often call for these things, so he knew how many people, because it was all about how big the empire was. And the English standard of this verse, it says, And all the world should be registered. The New Living says that a census should be taken. The NIV says that a census should be taken, the Amplified says should be registered in a census, and then the contemporary English version says enrolled in the tax list. So this is what the word taxed means. Um, they're, gonna get, they're gonna pay their taxes, they're gonna get taxed, but this they're all going to register to a certain place so that they can. That's the first, okay. So, verse. I'm oh sorry, Hebrews 12 and 23. That's the same word um, that's translated as "taxed." Here um, it says, "To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God, and to God the Judge of all, and to the spirits of men, just men made perfect, which are written in heaven." The word "written" there is the same word as "taxed." We're not going to get taxed in heaven. We're not going to pay taxes. That would be crazy, because Jesus paid the price. So it just means they're recorded. They're, they're going to be recorded, written down, um, put on a roll, so that they can't pay taxes. So We're not going to be paying taxes in heaven. So Caesar makes a decree that all the world, or all the known world, because Rome owns most of everything at this point, um, they're going to be taxed or registered, so he can have an idea how, how many people there are. And so they can see how much money they can get out of everybody and all that stuff. And, um, verse 2 says, and this taxing was made first when Cyrenius was the governor of Syria. So this gives us a timeline of when this happened. There's a lot of debate about this, who Cyrenius Arrhenius was. There was a couple people with that name. Uh, we're not going to get into that because we've been all night. Um, so we're just going to move on. Luke 2 and 3 says, "And all went to be taxed, everyone to his city. So they're all going to be registered, everyone to their city. And so for the Romans, they would just normally be registered or pay taxes wherever they lived. Um, But as we saw on Sunday, um, Jewish folks, they were very much attached to their their lineage and their genealogies, their history, where they came from. They were very concerned about this. And so it seems that for them, at least, the rules were that you got to go back to wherever your family comes from and register there it would also be more accurate if people would all go to wherever they came from and register instead of people maybe moving from town to town and registering here and then six months later they move somewhere else and register um, somewhere else because it would have taken a long time to do this census they didn't have the internet and technology to do everything quickly right so it would have taken a while to get all these numbers and add them up and people might have moved whatever in those times and so this was the most accurate way they could think of it. And we know that God has all this lined up. We know he's got it all planned out. We know that um, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem in the city of David. So we can see God's working to put all this in place and line it all up. So verse 4 says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. You know how Um, Some places they'll put up signs, this is the home of so-and-so, and And Cole Harbor, this is the birthplace of Sidney Crosby, apparently Nathan McKinnon, they're both big deals, but um, it's a place not far from where I lived, in Brunswick, St. Stephen, an NHL player came from there, Don Sweeney, the home of Don Sweeney. And you know, maybe they put it on the water tower or whatever. And somebody famous came from that town. That's their, their claim um, to fame. And so David, we know he was from Bethlehem. And from then on, Bethlehem became known as the city of David. This is our, this is our um, claim to fame. This is our, this is our guy. And that was that became their identity. So people who could trace their lineage back to David, they would have to go there to register for the Senses for the taxes, what have you. And both Joseph and Mary could do that, and so they had to go. Um, Joseph, he was living in Nazareth, in the province of Galilee, which is about 150 kilometers from Bethlehem. So about the distance from here to Halifax is how far away they were. And um, that's a big old walk. And then have the bus. Um car you know they had to walk it according to google maps it's a 33 hour walk that's fun especially when you're pregnant um and it's hot (laughs) it's not like here it's hot and dry it's a long walk so it would have taken them a few days at least to get there it took a while and verse 5 says to be taxed with mary's exposed wife being great with Child. So Joseph and Mary they go to, to register to, to be taxed, whatever. And Joseph and Mary they're still engaged. She's great with child, uh, his espoused wife. It says, and um, Mary probably could have been excused from this trip because of her condition, somehow far along she was. Um, but Joseph, he's a little bit he's a little bit freaked out when he hears that Mary's pregnant in the first place. He actually thought about breaking off the engagement quietly so as not to embarrass her publicly. In Matthew 1, 19 and 23, it says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and he shall call his name Jesus, where he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. she call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So you know this part. So the angel has confirmed that all the stuff that Mary said is true. Right? We remember all this. And so Joseph, he's got all this stuff on his mind. He's been thinking about all this stuff. He's got all this stuff weighing on his mind. Uh, the baby that his spouse, wife, his fiancee, Mary, is, is carrying is the Messiah. And he would know that the Messiah should be born in Bethlehem. If he was a good Jewish boy, he would know the prophecies. And that's a lot of responsibility that's put on Joseph. And now here comes this census. So it's like we just we maybe have to go there for the Messiah to be born. But now everyone's going there. It's just crowded and a mess. And he's got all this on his mind in verse 24 this is after the angel sorry Matthew one twenty-four. after the angel speaks to Joseph in the dream it says when Joseph woke from sleep he did as the angel Lord commanded him he took his wife took unto him his wife and after the angel in the, in the dream or the vision confirms everything something happens in Joseph he becomes determined a few verses ago he was like I'm gonna I'm you gonna know, just Put Mary away quietly. We're just going to pretend this never happened. I'll just go on my way. And he has this dream, and God confirms everything. And then Joseph, just something happens in him. He becomes determined. Everything changes. And he takes Mary. The Amplified says he took her to a side as his wife. A marriage in those days wasn't official until it was consummated. You know, they couldn't do that, obviously. And so Joseph takes her in anyway. After this vision he has, he takes her to live with him, to be his wife, even though, you know. Um, and he as her husband. He becomes her protector. He becomes her, her provider. Mary leaves her family's home and comes uh, with Joseph now. And so Mary and Joseph both make this trip. Why? Well, probably so Joseph could protect Mary. Because here she is. She's young. Um, um, more great with child, the Bible says. She's not married technically yet. They're espoused. She could be killed. Somebody could say something and accuse her of something. She could be stoned. She, could, uh, she would be in danger if Joseph left her behind. So Joseph takes it upon himself to take care of Mary and to protect her and to bring her with him. Mary is great with child, the Bible says. She's well along. I wouldn't say she's probably not nine months along, but she's well along. She's showing, she's tired, you know. Her feet are all so sore. <laughs> she's larger than she's ever been in her life. She's uncomfortable. All that stuff that comes with it. And in the in the movies, in the Christmas pageants, and the retellings, we always have Joseph and Mary, you know, showing up to Bethlehem in like the middle of the night, right? And then um, as soon as they get there, Mary goes into labor and they scramble around trying to find a place. And they're like, oh, come oh, on, let me in, let me in. I need a room. My wife's going to have a baby. Oh, no, we don't have room. And, you know, that whole thing, right? <laughs> and then they, they try to find a place and the guy's like, well, here's a barn here. we are got a stable with the horses. Um, take that. And Jesus is born there. That's how we're told. That's the version Right, that we, we have in our heads and ah, I think we've over um, dramatized it a bit like we do with every every story uh, so I'm going to ruin everything sorry verse 6 it says and so it was that while they were there the days were accomplished that she should be delivered so while they were there while they were there not as soon as they got there Mary had a baby while they were there. They were there for a while. Joseph wasn't making Mary travel while she was nine months pregnant and hoping that they don't have the baby on the side of the road somewhere while they were there. <laughs> uh, not that, You know, they arrived and scrambled and she had a the baby. But they were there for a while. And we all know, you know, this part, you know, Joseph starts freaking out and knocking on the door of every hotel, motel inn, bed and breakfast in Bethlehem. Let me in, let me in. My wife's having a baby help. I need a room and everyone's like, sorry, bud. Census, don't got a room, right? Then one guy just well, you know, we we're through this. But is that what really, is that what really happened? What does the Bible really say? So let's read it with an open mind. Luke 2, 6 to 7. Are we okay still? We got to the... And so it was, that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. No innkeeper. No stable. I'm going to present another version to you. Something that may offend, take you off, confuse you, ruin your Christmas. I don't do it just to do it. I realize this story is dear to all of us. We've been told a certain way our whole life. We have our traditions. I understand. Um, But it's highly unlikely that Jesus was born in a barn or a stable or a cave. There, I said it. Some points. First, we know that Joseph and Mary just didn't show up the last minute, scrambling for a room. It says they were there for a while. While they were there, the days were accomplished and she should be delivered. While they were there, not when they arrived. So it wasn't just they came in the middle of the night, they tried to find a room, and there wasn't any. Um, The second there's no mention of this mysterious innkeeper that we talk about. I've given you a handout probably didn't make any sense when you looked at it before but in verse 7 and there's a room of word there it says there's no room for them in the inn and this is the word that's caused all the confusion right so an inn that needs to be an innkeeper there's no room in the inn because inns have rooms right all that stuff so we are taken this one word in a verse, and we made this whole thing about it. This whole over dramatic story. Just like the word taxed, and has more than one meaning at this time. And again, Luke wrote this in Greek. So the Greek word here, if we go to that, has been translated to in, is kataluma. This is exciting. I know this is what y'all came for for Christmas. Kataluma. It comes from the word kataluo, which means unloose or untie. That is to unsaddle one's horses horses, and untie one's pack. So that's just what that word comes from. But it's the term for the private upper room where Jesus and the disciples eat the last supper. In Luke 22 and 11, he uses the same word in this verse. And it says, and eat... Shall say to the good men of the house, as Jesus said and his disciples, to find a place for the, the Last Supper, The Master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? So the word guest chamber is the same word in that verse as the word in in verse 7 of chapter 2, which is completely different. Guest chamber is not necessarily a hotel. Are we all on the same page still? It's yep. um, completely different. It's a, a guest room or a reception room in a private home. Uh, how do we know it wasn't a hotel? How do we know it wasn't an inn like we, we think? We usually picture it. Maybe the word kataluma was used for both. Well, there's actually another Greek word used to describe an inn. Or a hotel like we would picture an inn. Um, it is eon I'm not good at Greek. I don't even know that's even right. Neither do you. Pandokeion. <laughs> Woo. Luke actually uses this word in a different part of his gospel. Um, in the parable of the good Samaritan, when he takes the injured man in, um, to you guys sit in. Him. So Luke ten thirty-four says, and he went to him and bound up his wounds. Pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So the word inn in this verse is a completely different thing. This is an actual inn or a hotel um, with rooms for someone to stay or whatever. So the two words, kataluma means uh, the spare or upper room in a private house or in a village where travelers received hospitality and where no payment was expected or a private lodging which is distinct from that in a public inn. And then the other word, um, pando Keon, um, is, is an inn used for shelter for strangers, and it uh, had a common refectory or dormitory, and no separate rooms allotted to individual travelers. So just this one big old room with some beds in it, and uh, you would stay in there, kind of like a, host, a hostel um, they have now. So that's, those are two different words, two different things, two different meanings. Um, So Luke 2 and 7 in the Common English Bible says, she gave birth to a firstborn son, firstborn child, sorry, a son wrapped him snugly and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. So, there's the other issue with them, the whole scrambling to find a hotel room version is, We need to look at the traditions of the day. How society worked when the story took place. Because we often take a Bible story and see it through our 21st century eyes. Through our culture. Which is understandable because that's who we are. But this was 1st century Israel in the Middle East. And people at this point... Um, And even still, they're extremely hospitable, especially to family members. You think of the story of Isaac um, looking for a wife, sorry, of Abraham looking for a wife for Isaac. And he just sends his servant off to someone that's a distant relative. And they're like, oh, yes, come to my house. stay. you can have my daughter. That's how people were. Oh, you know this person? Come to my house, stay. We'll feed you. We'll water your camels. We'll, we'll take care of you. You know, stay as long as you like. And there's all kinds of stories in the Old Testament where people would just welcome someone in and they would keep them. They would take care of them. They would, you know, provide for them and all that stuff. Just welcome people into the house. And even in the New Testament, the apostles, they would just show up and someone would say, hey, you know, come stay at my house. And Jesus said, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. But he obviously laid his head somewhere. People took them in, often. And the prophets um, would go and travel. There's all these different stories in the Bible you can find where people would just welcome others into their house. And um, and there's all kinds of verses that tell us to be hospitable because of, you know, that's how we should be, and hosting and caring for people, and all these things. So this is how society was. You would just, oh, you know, so-and-so, yes, you're welcome to come stay in my house. Oh, we're fourth cousins, thrice removed, that's fine. Come stay at my house. It's fine. And that's what they would do. So people would travel and walk for days and someone would just take them in. They'd say, hey, um, do you know so-and-so? It was my, my mother's cousin, nephew, niece, I don't know, whatever. Oh, yeah, I know them. Well, this is their house. And they'd show up and they'd be like, oh, yes, sure, come. You're welcome. And they'd just invite you in. And that's how people were. Especially if you could say that you were related to them. And so Joseph and his family, they were from Bethlehem. And it's highly unlikely that Joseph and his very pregnant wife would not be welcomed into the home of a family member or relative in Bethlehem. Even if they weren't immediate relatives. There's a man, Kenneth Bailey, who um, studies first century Palestinian culture. And he said... Um, but Joseph, even if he has never been there before, he can appear suddenly at the home of a distant cousin, recite his genealogy, and he is among friends. Joseph only had to say, I am Joseph, son of Jacob, son of Matthew, son of Eleazar, son of um, Eliud. And immediate, the immediate response would have been, you are welcome, what can we do for you? Because that's how people were. If Joseph did not have some member of the extended family resident in the village, He or if he did, sorry, if he had somebody that was a relative, he was honor bound to seek them out. And furthermore, if he did not have family or friends in the village as a member of the famous house of David, for the sake of David he would still be welcomed into almost any village home. So what does this mean? (laughs) Have I ruined everything? I gave you um, a handout, and in the handout, there's a picture of how houses were set up then. Um, You would have your main family room. Everyone would live in that room. Um, You would build another room on the back. As you can see, it has its own private entrance. That would be the guest room. So whenever somebody from out of town came, you put them in there. And in the front of the house here, there's a, a stable or kind of like shed thing. Um, you probably, um, you can have like a courtyard and this part will be all open. And then you have your house part, right? And then the behind you have the guest room. And some of them will put the guest room on top of the house, like that. And so you would have these steps that go up into the house and then the animals will stay inside during the day. And you would bring them inside at night to keep them safe, um, feed them. So there'd be mangers inside in the living room. As you can see in this picture. So most families lived in a house like this. This is how most houses work. Uh, they lived in one room um, with a different lower level for the animals who brought in at night for protection. So some of them would have like the double layers and they'd have like a little courtyard inside, but protected and that's where the animals would sleep at night, and whatever. So that's, that's how it looked. And then we put a, a room on the back for guests or on the roof of the house. If you think of in the Old Testament, the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings 4, she built a room on the back of her house for Elisha to come whenever he came. That's what people did. And, um, you know, Jesus says in my house there are many mansions. The word mansions means rooms, literally. He's building on to the house rooms for us is what it means. That's what it's talking about. So a family at your house, you would just add more rooms or whatever. Um, so the, the family living area would usually have these little hollows in the ground where they bring hay in for the animals at night, just whatever, um, in the living area, and they would feed at night. And we don't think of this because we, we find it difficult to read it, um, to not read it in our own culture. And we put our assumptions of life on it, because where do we keep animals? In the barn. If you live here, you build a barn. And if you get too many animals, Steve will build you another barn. You put them, you put them away from the house because they stink and they're nasty. That's what we do. Except for dogs, for some reason. Dogs are fine, and some cats. Some dogs some animals we allow it but most we don't bring our sheep inside we don't bring our horses inside or our donkeys or whatever we keep them outside and that's how we do it so we assume if Jesus was laid in a manger where the animals ate obviously it's out in a barn because that's how we that's where our mangers would be but they would have it in the, in the living room which is weird to us but that's how they did things. There's this, this kind of one room living with animals in the house at night, is evident in a couple places in the Gospel. In Matthew 5 and 15, Jesus says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And this only makes sense, one candle lighting an entire house if there's only one room, right? You know, you can't light a candle in the bathroom. You can see down in the hall. You got one room. You light a candle. It doesn't light it very well, but you can see. Luke's account of Jesus healing a woman on the Sabbath in Luke 13. Jesus says to the people that are upset with him, he says, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the manger? The same word uh, in Luke 2 and 7, manger. And lead it out to give it water. And interestingly, none of them said, no, I don't touch animals on the Sabbath because they would have been staying in their house at night. So they all would have let them out. And they didn't argue with that because they all would have done that. This is how they lived. And so, yeah, we also have this um, thing where we get our information from songs, which isn't always the best um, Christmas carols. I like them and love them maybe. But um, they're not always historically accurate. <laughs> and the cattle are lowing—that's not in the Bible. The poor baby wakes, and you know, all that stuff. We just—we somebody wrote that, and we just sing it. And sometimes we take things from um, these carols or even—even even hymns sometimes, um, and we take it as gospel, and maybe it doesn't actually line up with the Bible. So we should get our information from the Bible and how things worked around that. (sighs) All right. Everyone's still here. So what does it mean for the Cataluma or the inn, to not have any space? It means that many people, along with Joseph and Mary, were traveling back to Bethlehem to um, to register for taxes, for the census, and all the people um, who Joseph knew all of his family, all of his relatives, um, everyone that he you know, knew the name of that said, hey, I'm Joseph, son of Jacob, whatever, let me in. Uh, all of those people he knew had guest rooms full. So, Joseph and Mary would have had to stay with the family in the main room. Not in a barn, not in a stable, not in a shed, not in a cave. In the living room, in the main area, with the rest of the family. And that's Probably where Jesus was born. Right there, in the middle of that crowded room, surrounded by family. And they had mangers there um, to feed the animals at night when they came in. And so, what better place to lay a newborn baby than a soft ish hay of manger? It was probably at, during the day, I would think. Because the sheep would have been eaten from it. That would have been awkward. But the idea that they're in a stable, away from others, alone and outcast, is um, culturally improbable. In fact, in that time, and with what was going on, and even now, it would be hard to be alone at all. With everyone there. It would be hard to find any place to yourself. Um... The, the guy that we quoted earlier, the Bailey guy, um, he quotes another early researcher and said, he said that, anyone who has lodged with Palestinian peasants knows that notwithstanding their hospitality, the lack of privacy is unspeakably painful. One cannot have a room to oneself and one is never alone by day or night. I myself often fled to the open country simply in order to be able to think. So they would have this whole big family in one room. I've got, there's five of us, and they were having more kids than we did, and they had one room. Some we're all in the living room sometimes, and I'm like, just get out of here. It's too loud. I can't think. This is what it would have been like. They're just crowded in, just all. <laughs> and so, so the idea that they were, Jesus was born hidden off somewhere in a, in a stable, it's probably, it's probably unlikely. I'm sorry to ruin everything. Because there's just people everywhere. So he was most likely born in the living room of some members of Joseph's family, surrounded by family and visiting relatives right in the middle, demanding everyone's attention, having the focus of everyone that's there. They were bringing a baby to a family reunion or something and partying everyone's focus is on that baby so jesus would have been the focus of everyone in that house at that time could he have been born in a barn or stable away from everyone sure maybe he could have um could he have been born in the family room yeah and you can go home and forget all the stuff that i said if you want i'm not getting rid of major scenes our kids have a ton of them every year my mom gives them another one and I know when we, I say things like this, it can upset because this is whatever different than what we've always been taught. I'm not trying to do that. But the, the problem with, you know, saying Jesus is born in a stable or a barn, just, it distances him from the rest, the rest of us. It puts his birth in this strange... Um, unique settings. And it's kind of, it makes us distant, I don't know, this distance between us and Him. And the message of the incarnation, the message of Jesus' birth is that He is one of us. He came to be what we are, and it fits well with that understanding of God, that His his birth, in fact, took place in a normal, crowded, warm, welcoming home, surrounded by family and friends, just like many other Jewish boys at the time. And the main point of all of this um, shattering your ideas uh, blew my mind when I was studying some of this stuff out. But the main point, other than tradition, isn't necessarily always true. The main point is Jesus was the focus. This little house, this little one room, guest house off to the side. And this little house, this crowded room, Jesus would have been the focus of everyone there. And he needs to remain our focus here. Again, like we've been saying this whole Christmas season. Let's keep our focus on Jesus. Jesus came to be with us, to be be near us, not hidden out back somewhere, you know, forgotten about in, in the stable, the barn. He came to be with us, the focus, be the main focus. Emmanuel, it says, means God with us. I don't want a God that's on the back shelf. I don't want to put him out in the barn. I want him to be the center of my home. I want him to be the center of this season, the focus of my family, this holiday season, and forever. So that's, I said all that to say that. But you can just imagine it, this little family is packed in one room house and just Jesus there laying in, in the manger everyone just crowded around and the shepherds come and whatever and it's just this big everyone's just focused on him and that's what it's about here is this this baby born miraculously to, to save us to be our Messiah to save us from our, our sins God with us and if we could just take that focus whether, whether, whatever you want to believe or where he was born or whatever just take that all that focus and put it on him, like that family would have around him that did. Yeah. Let's stand. I hope I didn't offend you with a different possible version. Um, I think it's good sometimes to challenge our thinking and understanding. But let's just let's just pray um, one more time tonight. Let's just pray that God would help us to. Keep him as the focus um, of our family, center of our attention. Uh, Let's just pray together tonight.